Hello, and welcome to the February 12, 2019 episode of PwC's Accounting and Financial Reporting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in our national office, and I'll be your host today. Many calendar year-end companies are starting to turn their attention to their first quarter reporting. So we thought it'd be helpful to spend some time today highlighting five things you need to know about adoption of the new hedge accounting standard, which is effective on January 1st, 2019 for public business entities. It was issued with the intention to make hedge accounting more closely aligned with risk management strategies, as well as more transparent to users. It's intended to make more hedging strategies eligible for hedge accounting. I have in the studio with me today Brian Staniszewski, who's a partner in the Financial Instruments Group in our national office and who's been focused on adoption of the new standard. Brian's going to help take us through some of the key items you should be focusing on as you adopt the new standard. So, Brian, one of the first things that comes to mind in thinking about adoption of the new standard is the number of different transition provisions. And before we actually talk about the provisions themselves, can you just give our listeners some background of why there are so many different transition elections that can be made? That's a great question, Heather. So for most people that have followed standard setting and looked at the transition guidance, this is going to be something unlike what you typically see in, in, in new accounting standards. So that the hedging guidance that came out and is effective essentially this, this period for public business entities is aligning a lot of companies' risk management strategies with their hedging strategies and it was well received by investors, preparers, and others. And I think some of these changes are really uh, going to produce more useful information going forward. So, so one of the challenges the FASB had when they were kind of thinking about the rollout of the standard was, well, you've got hedges that could be in existence for five to ten years that you know were prior to the date of adoption. And in those situations, I think you had to deal with, all right, do I have two sets of books, one where you've got hedges that were pre-adoption that I have to use the old rules for, um, and then a new set of books for the new hedges based on the modified guidance, or is there a way to kind of align some of your pre-existing grandfathered hedges in with some of the new designated hedges under the new hedging guidance? So uh, the, the election transitions were put in, in in a way to allow companies to take advantage of a lot of the, the um, benefits that were being rolled out with the new standard for some of their existing hedges without having to de-designate or cease hedge accounting, which would essentially be required under the hedging rules if you made a change to a hedging relationship that wasn't covered by one of these transition elections. Mm, okay, interesting. So, and it, I mean, it includes in the name the word election. So what are some of the things people should think about then as they're, they're looking at adoption of the standard and considering these transition um, elections? So I, I think one, one thing that I would just highlight is timing. So it's not kind of a blank blank check. You have to evaluate the elections and evaluate how they are applied to your specific risk management strategies and hedging relationships. And you have to make the elections by the first quarterly effectiveness assessment date. So putting that in layman's terms, if you're a 1119 uh, public business entity, you have to make your elections by March 31, 2019, because that's your the end of your first quarter. Um, and, and these elections are, are something that will, um, some will benefit uh, companies in a particular manner more than they will benefit others. So it's hard to really say that one's more important than the other. It really just depends on, on the strategy that you're employing currently and the strategies that you think you will employ going forward under the new hedging guidance. 
So are there any that you would highlight or just if I'm a company with existing hedges, I should be going through these and seeing if I'm making changes in the future, consider if there's an ele- a beneficial election? Yeah. So I, I guess one of the one of the changes that I would highlight is, you know, the, the new hedging guidance provides a new way of assessing effectiveness for hedging relationships. So in the past, you kind of had to run the numbers each period to make sure looking back, it was highly effective. And then what you expect going forward, the relationship is going to be highly effective. The requirement to um, assess quantitatively that the hedge is highly effective remains intact um, for hedges that don't qualify for what I'll call the easy pass, which I won't get into today. But for uh, the hedges that don't have a specific kind of um, uh, qualitative approach that currently exists, what companies can do going forward after they do their initial quantitative assessment is qualitatively assess whether or not the hedge remains highly effective, which is one of the provisions in the new standard that I think is going to really ease the burden of applying hedge accounting for companies that um, have what would somewhat be expected to be highly effective relationships um, that, you know, sometimes they have to outsource running the regression analysis or the dollar offset or whatever they're using to third-party services. Let's turn from transition elections to transition requirements that entities should keep in mind as they implement the new guidance. Yeah, so uh, the there are certain aspects of the new hedging standard that are required to be applied on a modified retrospective basis. And, and basically boiling that down to what it means is under this transition method, you have to look at your existing hedging relationships, think about how they would have been uh, reported under the uh, new hedging standard, and basically make an adjustment to retained earnings uh, and other comprehensive income for basically resetting those hedges as if they'd been applied under the new guidance. So that's probably not news. The modified retrospective transition is, is uh, fairly common. I'm, I'm aware that many people may have to deal with that in other standards. One of the points that I wanted to highlight here is kind of a scoping question that's come up. And few have raised questions on, well, how do you think about what you need to apply? Because it's really looking at what exists as of the adoption date. And a question was raised, uh, like a scenario, for example, where I had uh, previously designated uh, the hedge of forecasted future interest payments on the issuance of fixed rate debt. So in that scenario, my derivative may have been outstanding for a period of time, and then when the debt was issued, the derivative went away, but the amount of gains and losses that were deferred in OCI on that hedging relationship will remain in in OCI and bleed into earnings over a period of time, which could be three, five years, ten years, depending on how long the debt is. So there were some questions around, well, if I'm looking at hedging relationships to transition to the new guidance when I apply this modified retrospective um, basis, do I need to look at relationships where there's still amounts of OCI accumulated um, in equity? And the the clarifications that came out and kind of the the response was, no, when you're thinking about what exists, you're thinking about those relationships where the uh, derivative has not matured or been terminated or the hedging relationship has not been de-designated. So the example I gave when a cash flow hedge of forecasted issuance of fixed rate debt, that would not be subject to the scope of this required transition guidance. And I think it's not only important for understanding what you're required to apply um, the modified retrospective transition to, but it also applies when determining what your one-time elections are going to be available for uh, on the first topic that I covered. It it really kind of defines what I'll call what exists for purposes of adopting the standard and transitioning to the new guidance. So basically, first step for everyone should be, what are my existing derivatives that are designated in a hedging relationship? Is that 
correct? Yeah, it's one way to say it. Correct. And then I guess one other question, Brian. One thing I think is maybe a, a myth that's out there on the new um, hedging standard is that if I'm not entering into any new hedges, I don't really need to worry about the standard. And clearly from what you just said, that is definitely a myth. Correct. And the fact would be that it, this will apply to new relationships, but it also applies to existing derivatives that are are designated in hedging relationships on your books. Absolutely. So um, part of the new guidance uh, eliminates the recognition of periodic ineffectiveness for a highly effective cash flow hedge. So when I'm uh, applying the standard and adopting the standard, which is required this period for public business entities that are uh, calendar year in, I would have to evaluate the amount of ineffectiveness that was previously recorded for these highly effective hedges to determine what I need to reclass between retained earnings and other comprehensive income. So hedge accounting is elective, and that's something that you know most, most are aware of, but once you've been applying hedge accounting and, and you're looking at this new guidance, there are certain requirements that you have to apply. It's not just how you think about future hedges going forward. So if you have hedges, this new guidance is not elective, I think is what you're saying. Yes. So that actually leads very well into our third topic, which would be the presentation and um, disclosure guidance under the new standard. Can you give us some highlights of the changes there? Yeah. So maybe just to compare and contrast, the presentation and disclosure guidance is actually a prospective requirement which is different than what we just talked about with the Mm -hmm. modified retrospective. So there is kind of a a line drawn in the sand in terms of what you need to apply going forward and what you need to think about from previous hedges that currently exist as of the the adoption date. Um, But let me start with presentation. So previously, companies had disclosure requirements for where the um, derivatives that were designated in a hedging relationship, where the mark-to-market of those derivatives were impacting the income statement in terms of the specific line item. There was no prescribed geography, it was just more of disclose, be transparent in terms of where these amounts are going. Under the new guidance, the gain or loss on a hedging instrument uh, is required to be presented within the same income statement line item as the hedged item. So you may no longer have the ability, and some companies may not be affected by this, but others may, where if you designated a forward uh, foreign currency contract and you were just putting it in other income or expense, if your FX forward contract is hedging uh, future revenue, then likely debt classifying it in other income expense is not going to be appropriate under the new guidance. One point to highlight with, with presentation is that it's prospective. So if there are differences that you know will impact where you're classifying certain gains or losses on the income statement, there may be differences for comparable periods that you know investors may question. So it's just going to be something you want to make sure you have on top of your mind when you're communicating with investors if there's been changes between uh, pre-adoption financial statements and post-adoption. Oh, good point. So before you go on to disclosure, it's basically highlighting that to the extent you are making these changes, it might be something that's good to discuss in MD&A, depending on materiality, press releases, other places, depending on how significant these reclassifications could be. Correct. Yeah. So with disclosures, um, these are also prospective uh, requirement. And there's a number of new quantitative and qualitative disclosures. I won't get into each of them, but I, I do want to just highlight that these are also required on an annual and interim basis. So just to keep that in mind as you uh, adopt and roll out the, the new guidance in your in your company. Good. Thank you. So, Brian, you now also have naturally led into my next topic, which is processes and controls. So you've talked a lot about a lot of changes in different places, both um, transition requirements, these one-time elections people may need to make, 
and then obviously changes to effectiveness, changes presentation, disclosure, lots of different places. Um, so what should people really be uh, keeping in mind as they look at their, um, their current and changing processes and controls? Yeah, so I think it's, that, that's a really good question. And, and I think in this day and age where you've got a lot of new accounting standards that are becoming effective, hopefully that's on the forefront of everyone's mind, thinking about how not only the new standards will impact how they recognize, measure, and, and disclose certain items, but also how they think about the internal controls within their, in their companies and the processes they have to make sure that those standards are being uh, complied with to the full extent. Um, I think with the new hedging standard, you're going to have new judgments that are going to be uh, likely applied by companies that uh, did not have to previously apply those judgments. Going back to the earlier example on the qualitative hedge assessment, um, going forward, so basically what that would require for a company that's going to go down that path is they have to, each period, kind of assess and document what, why and how they expect their hedging relationship to continue to be highly effective on a qualitative basis. So companies likely did not have something set up in the past to go down that exercise, so there might need to be a new processing controls around making sure that that's taking place each period and you're complying with the standard. I think uh, other than that, it's really just more of a heads up to make sure that as you think about all of the various accounting and reporting implications of the new guidance, you also don't forget about the control and processes impact that the new guidance could have. Um, thanks, Brian. And the always good reminder, and I think especially this year when people are also um, focused on their leasing and adoption of other new standards at the same time. So good things to think about. Um, so let's wrap things up today for actually what I find to be a very interesting topic, which is potential changes um, in the hedging standards. And you know, it's interesting, I think the original derivatives guidance was issued you know, late 1999, 2000, that time frame. We had a lot of interpretation, then nothing. And then this standard got issued. But now we're talking again about some potential changes, right, Brian? So what do we see on the horizon? Yeah, so um, going back to your earlier point, when FAS 133 was issued, there was a derivatives implementation group that kind of worked thereafter for years and, and amassed you know a large amount of volume to, to cover some of the questions that came up. This is a complicated area, so you know I think you could expect there's going to be questions and implementation questions that are raised. Uh, in this area, for some of the provisions under the new hedging guidance, there has been some activity taking place in Norwalk around just implementation questions that have come up and how you apply certain provisions of the new guidance. A number of those questions were raised throughout 2018 and they were actually, some of them were included in an exposure draft back in November of 2018. I would expect some of the items that were in the exposure draft to reach the final state in the near future after the board deliberates some of the issues in there. There's other issues though that are still subject to uh, deliberations that weren't included in the exposure draft. And, Again, it's, it's, you know, for companies that are adopting the guidance today and they're thinking about, well, this could be a moving target, obviously you're going to wait, make, want to make sure that you keep your ear to the track on, on the changes that are being made. But some of the changes are, I would say, uh, more clarifications. Others are more, you know, thinking about applying the standard maybe needs some further guidance. Just to give you kind of a bit of a high-level overview of some of these, these changes that have taken place and, or discussions that have been taking place at the FASB, uh, some of them deal with clarifications of the fair value hedge guidance, including partial term hedging, the new last of layer hedging with uh, portfolios of, of assets in a fair value hedge, amortizing the fair value hedge basis adjustments. And there's also been clarifications to the cash flow hedge guidance, including changes to the designated hedge risk, which is um, 
something that we briefly spoke about earlier with the transition elections. I think there's some follow-on questions in terms of how you deal with certain changes that take place subsequent to initial designation and adoption. And then other application issues around how you uh, think about the hypothetical derivative method, which is a methodology that some people use in trying to measure the hedged risk that they're designating. And then other clarifications to even the transition guidance. So I think it's important to make sure that you understand what is taking place in some of those key discussions, especially if they're impacting your transition process and methodology and other aspects of the uh, changes that will potentially impact how you're, you're thinking about designating hedges in, in future periods. So I guess the takeaway is that the amendments to the new hedging standard are a little bit of a moving target. I wouldn't say that it's very fluid, but there are changes that are going to be uh, coming down the runway, and just make sure you keep your ear to the track so you're not caught flat-footed. Good. So one question, do we have a sense of timeline, or is it something that you know we anticipate could stretch out still for some period? Well, I, I think uh, the comment letter period for the exposure draft in 2018, in November of 2018, ended. So I would expect that to um, go through the, the staff will go through a process of evaluating the comment letters and then take it back to the board to re-deliberate the issues that they propose. So I would expect that at least the majority of those issues will see a final stage probably sometime, um, I would expect early Q2 maybe, uh, maybe late Q1 depending on all the other stuff they have on their agenda. But some of the other items that I think are um, may require a little bit deeper thinking may end up extending farther until mid to a little bit later 2019, uh, depending on you know wh- where they end up going and, and kind of the, the, the boundaries they put up with the scope of the, the items they're talking about. Right, and obviously, I should caveat, I know I'm asking you to look in a crystal ball. So, you know, we know, obviously, that those dates could be changing, but Clearly, the FASB is aware of the timing of when people are adopting. So to the extent things do stretch out or there's new ideas, then I think we would expect to see some transition guidance probably for any changes that are made or at least some guidelines around how people should be considering them, I would expect. I think that would be fair. Yes. Okay, good. All right, very good. So it sounds like more to come. I think hedging is one of those topics that is an ongoing dialogue. Um, I'm sure there are listeners who do a lot of hedging. This has been very helpful for them. So thank you very much, Brian, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. For more information on the new hedging standard, please check out our Derivatives and Hedging Guide available on cfodirect.com. In addition, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a colleague or leave us a review. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.